Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line of this critical issue. Subscribe to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Qi Zhi. Coming up in this edition, the 43rd ASEAN Summit opens on Tuesday in Indonesia's capital Jakarta. Somalia's government is appealing for international help in areas liberated from the armed group Al-Shabaab. And U.S. President Joe Biden has visited Florida to see the damage caused by Hurricane Idalia. Starting in Asia, Indonesia's capital Jakarta is to host this year's ASEAN Summit, which opens on Tuesday. It's the 43rd edition of the event, which will bring together leaders from the bloc's member states and its dialogue partners. Robling Perba has more from Jakarta. The 43rd ASEAN Summit will take place in Jakarta from Tuesday to Thursday, attended by 22 countries and nine international organizations. The agenda of the meetings is not disclosed, but ASEAN leaders are expected to talk about regional issues like the Myanmar crisis, food security, economic cooperation, the South China Sea, the Korean Peninsula, and migrant workers. Now, the Ukraine conflict and dialogue with partners outside of the region are also expected to be discussed. An ASEAN foreign ministers meeting takes place on a Monday as part of the three-day summit as well. Now, in an effort to ease traffic congestion uh, during the summit, officials in Jakarta have enforced um, work-at-home policies for civil servants and for workers in private companies as well. Now, the ASEAN chairmanship will pass on to Laos next year. That was Robling Perba in Jakarta, Indonesia, on the ASEAN summit. Still in Asia, southern provinces on the Chinese mainland are bracing for Typhoon Haikwei, which is moving toward Fujian and Guangdong. Fujian has suspended ferry services and water construction projects. In Guangdong, trains are cancelled and some cities have upgraded emergency responses. Haikwei has already injured 44 people in Taiwan. It triggered landslides and knocked out the power for hundreds of thousands of people on the island. Andy Lee reports from Taipei. Typhoon Haikwei has made landfall on the eastern part of the province of Taiwan. It went out to sea and then it came back again and made a second landfall in the western part of the province of Taiwan, the island of Taiwan. Now it's out to sea again, sitting in the middle of Taiwan Strait. This typhoon has brought considerable damage to the island of Taiwan. Actually, I must update those tally figures. 200,000 households have had blackouts and 118 incidents of floods 78 people were injured, 700 cases of fallen trees, and two cases of massive landslides. Of the 4,000 people that were previously evacuated, 2,000 people still cannot go back to their homes because their area is still under red alert. This Typhoon Haikwei is still lingering on over Taiwan. We're not exactly out of the woods yet. That was Andy Lee reporting from Taipei. Now turning to Africa, efforts to resolve the conflict in Sudan through peace talks have largely been unsuccessful, with several ceasefires collapsing. Now a new proposal to form an interim government is already facing opposition, with fears it could disintegrate the country. Robert Nagila has more. 
It's been almost five months since fighting erupted in Sudan between the army led by General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and the paramilitary rapid support forces led by General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo. Khartoum, the capital city, has been turned into a battlefield with neither side gaining any significant military advantage. General Burhan recently toured his troops at military bases across the country before heading to Port Sudan from where he is overseeing government operations. His recent visit to Sudan's second largest city was well received by residents. The visit is positive and will benefit the stability of the country. If a government is formed and people find a government in front of them, the country will become stable and stability for the citizens will be beneficial, as the people are very tired. The relocation of the government to Port Sudan has put pressure on basic services, but residents say the city is ready to accommodate the government. You could say that the port of Sudan is the second city after Khartoum, and this city could be a temporary capital until Khartoum is restored. In Port Sudan, Burhana's chaired cabinet meetings appeared more in public and also made his first foreign visit since the conflict began. During a recent visit to Egypt, Burhan held talks with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi on ending the conflict. And in his first speech at a naval base in Port Sudan since fighting broke out in mid-April, Burhan ruled out any political settlement with the RSF. This followed comments by RSF leader Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo calling for a long-term ceasefire agreement and the formation of a democratic civilian government. We are devoting all our efforts to the war and devoting it to end this rebellion. We are devoting all our efforts to ending this ordeal so that we can emerge from it steadfast, strong and with our heads held high. Last month, Burhan's deputy proposed the formation of an interim government as part of a roadmap to ending the war. But a section of the civil society and various political groups opposed the move, saying it could lead to the breakup of the country. The bad thing in this aspect is the announcement of a caretaker government by one side. And this, in our view as civilians, carries a risk that could lead the country to disintegration if the other part, the RSF, announces a government in its areas of control. The United Nations Human Rights Office estimates about 4,000 people have been killed in the conflict, though the number is thought to be higher. The UN Migrations Agency says more than 4.6 million people have been displaced, with more than a million seeking refuge in neighboring countries. That was Robert Nagila reporting. In Somalia, the government is appealing for international help in providing clean water as well as education and health services in areas liberated from the armed group Al-Shabaab. It has also urged locals to support its efforts to restore public services in those areas. Mohamed Kathy reports from Mogadishu. Somalia's national army supported by local mobilization forces have taken back huge tracts of territory from armed group Al-Shabaab since a large-scale military operations was launched nine months ago. The newly liberated areas, which were in the hands of the militant group for decades, lack basic facilities such as health centers and schools. President Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud has appealed for help from the local business community to fill that gap.
The stabilization and delivery of essential services is for all of us and we will provide what we can. Therefore, we call upon the business community to help us provide clean water, build schools for our children, maternity centers for pregnant women and vaccination clinics for our children. The Somali government will also need international support and goodwill as it rebuilds the liberated areas. The UN's Children's Fund says it's already providing essential life-saving services to thousands of people in the newly recovered areas. These interventions have been in four priority districts. Um, these are Adanyeba, Elbur, Hardere, and uh, Adado. We have been able to access and be able to provide water and sanitation facilities to around 50,000 people. Uh, this, are, this is to prevent outbreak of diseases. We have also been able to provide health, basic health services to around 24,000 uh, mothers and children. This is through deployment of two mobile health services that have been able to cover around 10 uh, villages. We have also been able to reach around 40,000 people with various uh, messages on child protection. And we have been screening and treating uh, malnourished children. And we have also been able to reach around 30,000 pregnant and lactating women with malnutrition prevention uh, messaging. The humanitarian agencies operating in Somalia face many security challenges when providing services like health and education. USF says the aid agencies also need adequate funding to support the local communities. Funding is really very critical. As you can imagine, the basic infrastructure, health facilities, schools, water points in the newly accessible areas have been decimated. Therefore, putting them back is a very capital-intensive undertaking. Therefore, it requires significant amount of funding. On the other hand, Somalia is struggling with uh, life-saving humanitarian emergencies. Therefore, there are a number of competing demands to tackle the resource constraints in, uh, in Somalia. Somali Disaster Management Agency delivered relief supplies such as food. As military operations continue and more areas is recovered from armed global shabaab, the needs of people living in those liberated areas continue to grow. And the good news is that Swathes of Pamlat is ready for cultivation to boost food security in Somalia. That's Mohammed Kathy in Mogadishu. Moving on to North America, an alliance of opposition parties in Mexico has named Senator Sochil Galvez as the 2024 presidential candidate. Galvez is seen as the main candidate to take on the ruling National Regeneration Movement, the political party of President Andres Manuel López Obrador. I want a Mexico free from fear that provokes crime. I want a Mexico where being a woman is not a disadvantage. I want a better Mexico free from constraints for those who work hard and get up in the morning to work. The Institutional Revolutionary Party in a broad front for Mexico backed Galvez to help her secure the candidacy. The National Regeneration Movement will announce its own candidate on Wednesday. U.S. President Joe Biden has visited Florida to see the damage caused by Hurricane Idalia. The storm ravaged the Big Bend region of the state. Biden met local officials, first responders and people impacted by the disaster, but not the Republican governor of the state, Ron DeSantis, who chose not to meet the president. Nisa Soledad in Paris reports. U.S. President Joe Biden and the First Lady got a first-hand look at Hurricane Idalia's destruction in Florida. Idalia made landfall on Wednesday as a powerful hurricane in Florida's coastal Big Man region 
with winds of up to 200 kilometers per hour, leaving hundreds of thousands without power, communities underwater, homes and businesses destroyed, and one fatality. During his short visit, President Biden and the First Lady took an aerial tour of the affected region and had a briefing with first responders and also took a walking tour of a storm-ravaged community. There, he said the pain of those so vulnerable to the increasing threat of climate change. Biden delivered remarks from Live Oak in northern Florida. Now the storm has passed and you're dealing with what's left in its wake. And we're not going anywhere, the federal government. We're here to help the state as long as it takes. FEMA and the Small Business Administration are here to help residents. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis did not meet with President Biden when he arrived in the state to survey the hurricane damage. The governor's office issued a statement and said the visit would disrupt recovery efforts. Optics aside, President Biden and DeSantis had been in contact and coordination in preparation and recovery from Hurricane Idalia. The Biden administration approved a major disaster declaration for Florida just a day after the storm, releasing federal funds for the impacted counties. Now, the challenge for the Biden administration is to get Congress to approve more funds for the Federal Emergency Management Administration, the U.S. agency that handles natural disaster relief for the nation. The request follows a string of disasters, including the Hawaii wildfires, the deadliest in the U.S. in more than a century, and Hurricane Idalia here in Florida and the southeast. On top of that, more storms are developing in the Atlantic Basin this hurricane season, which ends on November 30th. That was Nisa Soledad Paris reporting. Finally, in Europe, Turkey says President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's visit to Russia is vital for the Black Sea Green Deal. Meanwhile, Russia says it carried out a drone strike and hit an oil depot on the Danube River, close to the border with NATO member Romania. Ukrainian officials say at least two people were injured. Dasha Shinishova reports from Moscow. The meeting is expected to focus on the Black Sea Grain deal as Ankara seeks to bring Moscow back to the arrangement. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's chief foreign policy advisor said Ankara was cautious but hopeful to achieve success. Moscow, in turn, brought a new proposal to the negotiating table that involves Moscow exporting up to 1 million tons of grain to Turkey at a discounted price for further processing and sending it to the neediest countries. In the meantime, the Russian Ministry of Defense says it hit the Ukrainian port of Reni on the Danube River. Moscow says it carried out a group drone strike on fuel storage facilities used to supply military vehicles of the Ukrainian armed forces. In the port of Reni in the Odessa region, the ministry says, adding that all designated targets were hit. Russia's former president and now deputy head of the Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev, said around 280,000 people joined the Russian armed forces by contract since January 1, 2023. That's Dasha Chinishova reporting in Moscow. Now a recap of our top stories. Indonesia is hosting this year's ASEAN Summit as the 43rd edition of the Leaders' Gathering will take place in Jakarta from Tuesday. Somalia's government is appealing for international help in providing basic services in areas liberated from the armed group Al-Shabaab. And U.S. President Joe Biden has traveled to Florida to see the damage caused by Hurricane Idalia. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can also subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. And we welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Qi Thank you for listening.